fiasco piled upon incompetent fiasco filed upon bad handling filed upon mostly all avoidable and it really has just been this drip 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 of continuation of allegation of revelation of leak uh, that's sort of turned into a torrent that was former conservative advisor ramsey jones and we'll be hearing more from him later in the show Hello and welcome to The Stushy, the Scottish politics podcast from DC Thompson Media that helps you be better briefed. I'm Andy Phillip and on this special episode I'll be joined by Derek Healy to examine and explain the last week in Scottish politics. I say it's a special episode because we're going to take the time to look into the subject everyone's been talking about in a little bit more detail. Boris Johnson is still hogging the nation's collective bandwidth because of his protracted and stubborn refusal to budge in the face of a civil service inquiry a police probe, a Scottish Tory rebellion of sorts, and plunging ratings in the polls. While that's all going on, we have a unique additional layer to deal with, the ongoing national conversation about Scottish independence. While many now consider Boris Johnson to be losing control of his side, the SNP uh, often say they consider him to be a fabulous recruiting sergeant for their cause. We'll be joined by Perthshire SNP MP Pete Wishart to take a look at the impact of Downey Street chaos on a potential second independence referendum a little bit later in the show. But first, Derek Healy, political editor of The Courier, has been speaking to Ramsey Jones to get a peek behind the curtains, an insider's view on all the mess piling up under the Downing Street rug. Ramsey was a Scottish Tory press chief and more recently was a special advisor to the Tory government under David Cameron. He was immersed in the 2014 referendum, as we all were, and is now watching his old party colleagues come to terms with Boris Johnson. Derek started by asking Ramsey to assess the damage. Fiasco piled upon incompetent fiasco, filed upon bad handling, filed upon mostly all avoidable. And it really has just been this drip, drip, drip of insinuation, of allegation, of revelation, of leak uh, that's sort of turned into a torrent. And we're really in a position now where public opinion is such that the benefit of the doubt that sometimes anyone can get and even politicians can get when mistakes happen or, or minor hiccups occur has just now disappeared and dissipated and that's how serious the, the situation is surrounding the Prime Minister and the number 10 operation just now and the golden rules if you like of sort of crisis comms in politics as in as in life frankly um, get all the dirty washing out early get everything on the table apologise properly seem to have been forgotten so uh, they've dug a hole and I'm afraid sometimes they've kept digging. Not to say the Prime Minister's a goner, but it's tricky. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you've worked closely with the Prime Minister. This culture that we've seen reported, you know, wheeling a suitcase full of booze into Downing Street, partying when the country's in mourning, is that a culture you recognise? No, it's not. I mean, let's be honest, you know, outside of the pandemic, many workplaces on a Friday, might have had wine time Friday, a glass of wine, something just to wind down at the end of the day. Many workplaces, you might have gone down to the you know the pub for something similar. Uh, in my time in number 10, I actually wasn't there often on a Friday, but by then I was sort of hot through to get back up to Scotland. So not me, Gov, you can't blame me for anything that did go on then. But no, it, it, there wasn't that same sort of culture surrounding it, even pre-pandemic, uh, you know, in my uh, time there. I think what surprises many people is that this has continued through a pandemic. It's not just been a glass of wine by people who were sharing the same office, but it seems to, on occasions, been more pre-planned, more organised, far more people coming together. Now, I accept, you know, these were people in 
a highly stressful job who were in a you know a building and working together. And I think most people would have shrugged and said, listen, if last June we'd known that the Prime Minister had gone into the Cabinet office to or the Cabinet room to you know, for a COVID-related meeting and a few of the staff had, had given him a birthday cake, we would have shrugged and said, yeah, that's possibly happened in other places as well. But it's the fact that it came out as one of, what, 15, 16 uh, allegations or events that have happened that has just made it so bad. So I don't think it would have happened before when I was there. But if it had happened, it wouldn't have been repeated. It wouldn't have been sanctioned at the highest levels. Uh, it would have been stepped on. Because I think what's changed is the culture uh, surrounding the operation in Downing Street. I think that has changed. And that's part of the problem. And that, it, sadly, it probably comes from the top. We've seen a lot of people speculating about, you know, the possible strategies being employed by the Prime Minister to try to survive this. Do you think there is a strategy at play here beyond just, you know, survive another day, basically? Well, there is a little bit of that. Um, and really interesting when you read, um, you know, David Clegg and others' books recently, David and Kieran's book on uh, the Salmon years and... Um, you know, that, that story about a difficult situation. Well, um, what was the phrase they used? Uh, the horse might talk, um, where Alex Salmon had a strategy of um, just buy some time. Let's just see what happens. Something unusual could occur. And there's part of that at play. I, I mean, they, they went all in for the Sue Gray report. Uh, they tried the, if you remember that Beth Rigby interview of a couple of weeks ago, mm -hmm. when, the, you know, the head was hanging. It was all very sorrowful, all very sotto voce. Um, apologetic. Well, that didn't work in many people's eyes. And if you look since then, you're right, we've had a Prime Minister, they, they've let Boris be Boris. You know, stand up, take the hits, be bold, be brave, flood the airways with other announcements. And there's going to be lots more, I'm sure, coming in the week ahead on, you know, fuel prices, there'll still be stuff about Ukraine, the cost of living, there'll be more red meat thrown, if you like, as well. And just try to brazen it out and take the hits and the blows and try to just, I suppose, say to the backbenches, listen, better the devil you know, and hope that that gets them through. The problem is, it's the, probably the only strategy they've got, and will it be enough to persuade about 100 Tory backbenchers that he's still the man to win them back their seats? Because undoubtedly, he was, in his personal popularity and his take-no-nonsense, larger-than-life style, he was an asset that won the last general election for many of these MPs. They're now sitting thinking, from being the asset, is he now the liability? Is he a drag on our electoral fortunes? And actually, it could be quite a while before we really see whether the damage that undoubtedly there, if you look at all the polls, is permanent or not. And that's it's, it's tricky. And we've got the police investigation to wind its way through. And then there's May local elections. And there's a prime minister clearly wants to stand up, brazen it out, take the hits. Um, this ain't over by a long way, regardless of when any you know single issue or single day brings us in terms of new revelations or not. Um, so they're, they're playing the only tactics they can, Derek. Whether it works, you tell me, mate. And if, if you're sure, if you're ground, we'll go to lab books together. <laughs> one of the, the questions we are asking and we're looking at at the moment is what kind of impact could Boris Johnson's potential departure have on Scottish independence? We've seen 
a re- you know, renewed talks of that this week, Scottish independence and a possible vote. Um, do you think we would see any kind of shift in the polls if he does go? This is, I mean, this is a fascinating one for me. But I've always argued passionately that someone's position in the constitution of their country should never be based upon the incumbent of Butte House or 10 Downing Street, the temporary incumbent in either of these places. I mean, I myself didn't vote no some 90-something months ago because of my views of Alex Hammond. Um, and so there are people around us now saying, we must have Indiref 2, we must be an independent country, look at the shambles of a prime minister, their words, not mine, I, I hasten to add. Wrong, I say. You know, the, the constitution, the very future existence of your country is far bigger and more permanent than the temporary incumbent of either 10 Downing Street or of Butte House. So undoubtedly, these things have an impact on the polls at the margin. And if we look back over the last 12 months, Derek, you know, there was a period when it was poll after poll after poll, um, you know, the yes vote was ahead. Mm-hmm. Now, that was when the debate was, should Scotland have the right to hold one? When we then got towards actual elections last year and the debate moved into, but what would independence mean? Lo and behold, it's the no side that swings back into a lead. Uh, I don't think there's been enough polls in the last few weeks for us to know the impact of this just now. I think I've only seen one and it was a knife edge of 50-50. But I actually think that whilst it will increase the temperature and the heat and the volume of the debate, I actually think were it ever to come to Indirev 2, it doesn't make any difference at all. Because I think at that point, people are looking at the fundamentals of what's right for their country in the long term, rather than the theoretical debate or their, their sort of current opinion about one incumbent or not. So in IndyRef, I think, um, I don't actually think it makes a material difference long term. I think it's interesting because, you know, there's this sort of received wisdom that Boris Johnson was a bit of a gift for the SNP and, and the wider independence movement because his particular brand of politics seems to be so uniquely unpopular in Scotland. Um, but then that popularity elsewhere in the country almost seems to make an independence referendum less likely because he's got such a strong mandate. Um, I'm interested, I mean, do you think the possibility of Scotland breaking away does come into play at all when people at Westminster are, are pondering the PM's future? Um, the, the, the attitude of the UK government towards the union, uh, of course, matters because that sets a temperature for that relationship, if you like, between the four nations of the United Kingdom. And actually, if you step aside from Jacob Rees-Mogg and and from people's views of the Prime Minister, arguably over the last 12 months, there's a lot being done to actually start to create a a quite radically different mindset and tone in terms of the way the governments all work together. There was the Dunlop Review um, that set out a new template. We've had new intergovernmental proposals out just in the last week or so. And at the heart of all of these was trying to create a far more cooperative forum for the four nations to discuss and things. Back in my day, you know, the intergovernment relations were so often about grudge and grievance and point scoring and politics. Whereas actually on a day-to-day basis, the civil servants in the different departments got on magnificently well in, in tackling the, the, the small but persistent day-to-day issues that arose in their in their different polio areas. And there's been a real attempt to try to get that back up. You know, Michael Gove heading up the levelling up in the sort of constitution side of things, a man who gets Scotland and actually likes to get things done by agreement wherever possible. Um, so there's, a, if you like, a contradiction between the view of whether 
um, Boris Johnson is a recruiting sergeant for independence or not. And the reality, I would argue, of the way the government's actually getting on about it. But there, you mentioned, you know, the other parties, Labour and the SNP. Let's face it, they're not going to tell you this publicly, but privately, if they are adamant that he's such a great recruiting recruiter to their cause, whether it's independence or or Labour having resurgence and winning in Scotland, they want him in, to stay in put, but they can't go and tell you that. Uh, so maybe they, they see it some kind of you know win-win situation. We get a scalp, or he stays, and you know, and the Conservatives are wounded. But in truth, it's way out their hands. I'd say it's in the hands of about 100 MPs just now and how they react over the coming weeks and months is more crucial. Ramsey uh, pulling no punches there. Some frank uh, assessment about his own his own side, his former colleagues. Um, it must be difficult for a lot of Conservative members or supporters who are clearly wondering how to get out of this problem. And we've, we've heard how Scottish Conservatives are reacting, and last week we, we raked over this too. But what's the view from the other side of the green benches at the Commons? Uh, we're, we're joined now on the Stushi by Pete Wishart, SNP MP for Perth and North Perthshire. Hello, Pete. Thanks for taking the time to rake over this week's talking points. It's been a shambles, clearly. Ramsey noting fiasco upon incompetence. Have you, have you seen anything like this in all your years in politics? It is quite extraordinary, and, and I think we've got to also just remember and recall that this crisis isn't even two months old. I mean, I remember being in the House of Commons, I think it was about one o'clock, two o'clock on Wednesday, the 3rd of November. The Tories were ahead in the polls by something like 10 to 12 points. They were full of confidence. They had their own programme for taking us forward. They actually felt that they were on top of the COVID crisis. Everything was getting behind them. And then they brought forward the motion to try and protect their friend, Owen Patterson. But lurking in that corner was a big Pandora box of Tory corruption sleaze and double standards with a big thing down the stripe, a skull and crossbones under no circumstances open. But not only did they just have a little peek inside. It took a crowbar to it. And what's happened since then is this bile was spewed out of non-stop corruption, sleaze, double standard. It started with Owen Patterson. It moved on to Cash for Access. It moved on to Cash for Honours. We got into parties. We got into cakes. And it has been non-stop. That's not even two months ago. And it's Watching this in real time is like just watching the Titanic go right down. Already they're sort of clinging to, you know, like the bits at the back to try and avoid that watery fate. But, you know, for us, watching this um, from our side of these green benches, it has been absolutely fascinating. And every day is different. You just don't know which little bit of this Pandora's box is going to come out next. And it just does not seem to stop. Now, I don't know um, next week, uh, but... I think it'll be another dramatic week, as they all are. But um, it's, it's almost impossible to think of Westminster politics just now without all this going on and being in the background and being like the feature that is consuming all of us. Well, I mean, you, you paint a, a vivid a vivid picture of, uh, of politics. There. I mean, it's been an eye-opener for, for some in the public who maybe don't get into the weeds of it like we, we do day to day. You know the phrase "cut through." You know is is well used, but I mean this this is this is getting into a whole new territory. I mean, how is this affecting the kind of wider pillars of of our institutions, our democracy? I mean, it's not just focused on one man anymore. This sort of anger at Boris Johnson. I mean, how how is this spreading out into the rest of the country? It's undermining trust in everything, isn't it? 
There's no doubt that this is a huge institutional and cultural impact and everybody's talking about it. Everybody's got a view and, and most of those views are negative. And, you know, I mean, if my, if my mailbag's got anything to go by and I'm, I'm just a... Uh, insignificant opposition member of parliament um, from Persia. I mean, it is of Barnard Castle proportions, you know. I mean, I, I never saw a mailbox like that, but this is actually probably even more uh, profound and probably more, like, um, sustained. So if mine's is like that, I've got no idea what Conservative colleagues are going, but look at some of their miserable faces in the course of the past few weeks. I know that they've been getting a pounding from their constituents and it has cut through. The only thing I'd say is um, they, they actually believe now that they're, they're through the worst of this and they think that there's a response to the response which is people are now starting to get a bit bored and tired of it and they want a return to sort of normal politics so what we're hearing a lot from conservative colleagues this week is they're all rushing as well to the defense of the prime minister but trying to move the agenda on to the success with covid didn't you do well over new year when you didn't lock down the country aren't we great that we're you know, leading the economic return and we're ahead of all these other european competitors even though that's a load of nonsense but these are the sort of things and territory they're starting to move on to. And I think they're beginning to recognise a bit of a resonance, particularly with their own constituents in some of the parts of England where they've had these real difficulties. But there's no doubt whatsoever that, you know, like um, if... I know there's not very many pubs open just now, but the ones that are and for the people discussing round the pint, this is going to be one of the major conversation points that will be going on. We, we, we heard Ramsey um, talking about his assessment of what the SNP might be thinking about Boris Johnson. Uh, you've, you've condemned him in fairly strong terms there, but do you secretly hope that Boris Johnson stays on? Well, there's no doubt whatsoever that Boris Johnson has been fantastic for us. I mean, what, what we're able to do is almost personalise and personify what this is all about for us. I mean, like, there's just something about Boris Johnson. I don't know if it's the this weird buffoonery, but there's something about him that just grates with the Scottish experience. I mean, Scottish people actually watch this individual and character and think, God help us. Seriously, is this the person who's the leader of the United Kingdom? So there is absolutely no doubt whatsoever that he's been a fantastic recruiting sergeant for, for independence because he is seen to represent it and personify it. But I think um, more profoundly than that, and probably more interestingly, is like regardless of Boris Johnson himself, what he has proven is that this is what the union can do to us. This is he is he he is a result and byproduct of um, Scotland Party, United Kingdom, that we are so powerless that somebody who you know is so overwhelmingly rejected in Scotland can be imposed upon us against their will. So he's a symbol now, and he will increasingly be seen as a symbol of our powerlessness within the union, our ability and our inability to sort of influence um, any sort of leadership issues. And if the union could do Boris Johnson to us. It could do practically anything. You know, careful what you wish for. Uh, I was speaking to um, someone that you'll you'll know, uh, Lord Duncan, last week. Very close fight with him in a, in a, a recent election. What uh, he was mentioning was that he speaks to, to people of all of all parties as well. He was thinking, well, you know, privately, if Boris Johnson goes, what happens if if they elect someone who perhaps isn't so um, a lightning rod for 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 anger like that? And what happens if if like Ramsey Jones was saying, someone reasonable, electable uh, is in, in place and suddenly that kind of target for you disappears. Is that is that a concern or do you think that what you just said there, you know, um, doesn't really matter who's in who's in the seat now, is, it's gone that far? How do you how do you view that? It could be in something even worse, you know. I mean, like if you look at the array of candidates who just might take over, there's a, a couple of them that probably would 
just about great as badly as Boris Johnson does in Scotland. But I don't think it's really about him anymore. It's about the fact that it can be him. I mean, this is what can happen to us if, because of our powerlessness within the union and our inability to influence and decide who actually becomes a prime minister of the United Kingdom in Scotland. I think it's more than that just now. And, uh, and I don't think it will have any some sort of substantial or significant um, influence and impact upon the fortunes of Scottish in- independence. I mean, um, I don't know who's going to be good to going to take over and you know like um, if you look at some of the candidates that are in place if it's Rishi for example he's going to be entirely different but we know nothing about him we don't even know he's using the union we don't know how he'll approach it he could be even 10 times worse and he could make our situation even more interesting and probably more illuminating so the, the, the short answer is I don't think it'll make any real difference. I think Boris Johnson is an, an instructive lesson to the people of Scotland about what is possible in the union. But, you know, like whoever comes in will have the same range of issues. And the case for independence doesn't fall or, or, or stand by whoever is the incumbent of number 10 Downing Street. The, the, polls, the polls are still fairly split, though. And um, it's been suggested that if, if you can't get right up to the dizzy heights of, of a, you know, a nailed on victory in this current circumstance then when do the stars align ever in a better way for you well this is always this was always going to be difficult and hard work you know i mean we, we lost an independence referendum only seven years ago and i think we were encouraged after 2019 when we saw the polls um probably almost on a monthly basis giving us a, a sustained lead then there was a dip last year that and i listened to what ramsey said about that i think that's much more to do with the non-stop negative headlines that we got with the alex salmond inquiry where it was like day after day there was these sort of headlines bringing forward and we had the election that's all out the way now and we're starting to get back to the situation position that we were at the beginning and beginning of last year and, and what i suspect is that the opinion polls will keep on growing this year and i, I think it's much more to do with just some of the mood that's going around just now. And, and of course, you know, like people are observing this and I think they're looking at the crisis and chaos in Westminster and, and possibly coming to the conclusion that they don't want to be a part of this and it's influenced their decision about Scottish independence. But all of that takes a time to get through. You don't wake up one day and you put on the TV and Boris Johnson's having a party and he's presented with a cake and you think all of a sudden, oh, right, I'm now an independence supporter. It's week after week, month after month, and it takes a bit of a journey to get, you know, from a series and sequence of events happening to making your mind up about something as important as the future of a nation. So I suspect, Andy, that what we'll see in the course of the next few weeks is, and months is support for independence continuing to rise. And I think that by possibly by the May elections, we'll be in a really good position here. I mean, Pete, just if I can ask you, does it not worry you, though? I mean, if you look at the optics... If we were to have another independence referendum and we were to go back to having those sort of debates that we had in 2014, would it not help to have Boris Johnson on the stage answering some of those questions when, you know, he doesn't seem to be very popular in Scotland, he has got that issue. If there's another leader, they might not have that same that same kind of problem. I mean, is this not an opportunity missed? If we're, if we're looking down to 2023, maybe even beyond, there could be another leader there and we might not have that same kind of approach. If you were to ask me, Derek, I think it's a very good and fair question. Who would we like to lead the campaign to save the union? Top amongst our candidates for that position and post would be Boris Johnson. Of course, mm-hmm. you know, like he he demonstrates everything that 
you know, as bad about the union and its leadership and some of the chaos and crisis that's been going on in the course of the past few years. But I, I seriously do not think that that makes a difference about how people assess Scottish independence, about what they think about it and whether they're prepared to invest in it. You know, I mean, it, it makes it easier. And obviously he's there and, you know, like it, it, would be, it would be it would be quite something, wouldn't it, if he was there to make the case for the union? And of course he still might. You know, like people are now talking much more positively about... Boris Johnson surviving this, and you know, like um, when I left Westminster yesterday, um, I, I actually believe that we were at the position where he's probably more likely to be in place, certainly for the short term, than for the long term, and that creates not so much problems and issues for us because I don't think there will be all that many for us, but it definitely creates problems and issues for the Scottish Conservatives. They're going to have to go out to elections and ask for support. And with a man who leads the country that they have rejected and don't want to be in place. Well, let's, let's talk about if he does stay on. I mean, um, you touched a lot about him kind of trust in politics. What does it do for other MPs? I mean, you've had some of these kind of unedifying scenes where you've had Boris Johnson's allies saying that he's been ambushed with a cake and then saying there was no cake. <laughs> and, you know, these, this constant shift in what the, what the defence is and what the excuse is. What does that actually mean for constituency MPs and their reputation when they're going back? And, you know, we hear quite a lot about how people view politicians. I'm always going to make a point to point out that most people you interact with in politics are good, decent people who are, you know, looking to try and improve the lot of their local community. But what does it mean for you as an MP having somebody who's a recognisable politician acting in that kind of way? It doesn't really make any difference to me personally because I, I don't think that we're caught up in this and we've got our own institution in Parliament in Scotland that people see doing positive things on behalf of their communities. I think this is particularly and specifically a Tory-related issue. Um, you might, obviously I know that you follow all my contributions in of the course. House of Commons and I was suggesting that we set up some sort of counselling service for Tory backbench MPs just now because of all the sort of traumas they've been through and the poor guys obviously are in need of some sort of help even if it's just confessional. <laughs> So I, I think this is mainly a difficulty and problem for them, and it's not really sort of coming through to us. And you know, like um, politics is never going to improve its image amongst the general public. We're, we're always going to be seen as you know, like like um, people who have to be endured and put up with. But the thing is, and I think you're right, Derek, and I think the Courier know this that you know, like if you actually ask individual people about their own. MPs, the response tends to be much more favourable because they know us. And they know us as part of the community and they know that we take up issues on their behalf. So, like, there is a difference between individual MPs serving constituencies and the general community of us as politicians. But I think the difficulty just now is with our Conservative colleagues, and it seems to be them that are experiencing some of the difficulties at the hands of their constituents. And the thing about the new Conservatives, particularly the 2019 intake, they're very sensitive to this, the poor souls. They've not had much experience uh, dealing with some of the things that possibly hardened old grizzled veterans like I've had to deal with in the course of the tw past 20 years. And they're, they're pulled around and buffeted and they take this all very seriously. It's quite quite interesting listening to them and some of their, their real... The I think it's a personal um, slap on them as opposed to, you know, like difficulties that the government's got them into. I mean, there is a slightly different side to this as well, where, you know, there are big issues like Ukraine, like COVID still being played out. I mean, what would you say to people who would say there's far too much time being spent worrying about whether a prime minister had a bit of cake and a glass of wine? I mean, it's always going to be the case. So I mean, these are the th sort of things that sort of interest, not just us as politicians, but your good selves as journalists. I mean, um, 
if you look at the, the various front pages over the course of the past two weeks, it's all about this. It's not us that tell journalists what to write about and take an interest in. It's newspapers themselves because they know it sells copies. And like, people are, are fascinated in the story. They're interested in all the developments. We think it's genuinely funny that a prime minister could be ambushed by a cake that may or may not have been there. I mean, these are the sort of things that when they're opening the paper in the morning, they actually find interesting. Yes, they find Ukraine scary. That's a huge international event and you know like COVID yes that's something that continues to interest them but that's been going on for two years what Kate Gate, Patty Gate, Owen Patterson and all the rest of it brings is this real like um, searchlight a high focus high intensity one on the intricacies and dramas that exist around politics and, and like for all we may want to move on from this agenda, it's something that I think the public find yes, particularly fascinating, interesting, and amusing. I, I wanted to just to jump in there as well because um, you mentioned you know the, the problems going on within the Conservative Party, and we we also heard about uh, Alex Salmon being a distraction in the past. You know that there was a lot of damaging headlines for, for the SNP in, in in months gone by. But you 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 know you've you, you've at the, the sharp end of this as well. I mean, your former leader hived off to form Alapa um, Party, and you've had some pretty fiery exchanges online, particularly with people that you once counted on for support. Is that? In the background, is that a distraction that you're worried about in the independence movement? I was potentially worried about it until I saw the result that they had, which was, you know, about 1%, which secured in the, the, um, the Scottish parliamentary election. And what we've seen when we look at opinion polls is, if anything, it's gone further down. And, um, you know, we're now at the point in position where, like, we we're not really sort of seeing them as electoral threat. They've got no electoral credibility. The public seem to dislike, if not intensely dislike, the message that they're trying to promote. Alec is, remains, even with Boris's difficulties, the most unpopular um, politician in Scotland. So, like, we don't see them as any sort of electoral threat. But what they do, and I think it's right to recognise this, and it's something that concerned me particularly around about the period where they were um, getting established, is what it does to the independence movement. I mean, like some of the, the views that we share, some of the like um, intolerant, intemperate language that they pick up, you know, in order to try and promote some of their activities, isn't very good, isn't very nice, and does have a negative image. And, you know, like if, if they ever became some sort of sense identified with the mainstream, the yes, we would be in trouble. But thankfully, they exist in the shadows and the dark lands of Twitter, and they're only followed by a few thousand people who seem to be like-minded and they're not having much of an impact about how the guest movement does. But my worry is if they ever did, then then we would be in serious trouble. But I'm seeing no signs of that at all. Thank goodness for that. Pete Wisher, uh, thanks very much for joining us on the Stushy. My pleasure as always. That's it for this week. Thanks to Pete Wishart, Ramsey Jones and Derek Healy for their insight and to producer Marvin McIntyre for performing all the magic. And of course, to you for listening. We'll be back next week with more. But until then, and even after then, pick up or log on to The Courier, The Press and Journal and all of our news brands so that you can be better briefed. Cheerio! The Stushy is the politics podcast from DC Thompson Media, bringing together political journalists and commentators from all over the country so that you can be better briefed. Teams at The Courier, The Press and Journal, The Evening Telegraph, Evening Express and The Sunday Post work hard day and night, online, in print and beyond, to bring you careful reporting and analysis designed to help you understand the implications of what happens in Holyrood, in Westminster 
and in our communities. So you don't miss an episode, follow The Stushy today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you know folk like you who want to understand politics in Scotland a little better, suggest they tune into The Stushy or follow Stushy Scott on Twitter and Facebook. You can get a free month of unlimited access to The Courier or The Press and Journal too. Just go to thecourier.co.uk slash subscribe or pressandjournal.co.uk slash subscribe or follow the links in the episode notes to be better briefed. Check the episode notes for details and terms.